Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. So, this week you watch PMQs again. Do you want to give us a lowdown on what you discovered, what you learned? What is the uh, political goings on for this week? Yeah, your boy Keir and Boris Johnson. Their weekly, their weekly tete-a-tete was uh, uneventful, again. I was going to say, is. is it even really a tete-a-tete? I mean, sometimes, occasionally. But anyway, um, for all I do and will criticise your boy Keir, um, I do like the way he approaches, or at least he structures his questions for PMQs. Mm, is it's it forensic? No, but it's a story. So, you know, he, he'll start with his, he'll start with a good introduction. He'll move us into act one. We'll get to the heart of it in sort of questions three and four. It sounds like he'll it's your of, boy, not mine. It'll take a, it'll take a slight detour, but still on topic, generally speaking, for question five. And then he'll bring it down for question six before oh. we go, before we go to the even more annoying um, dude who's the leader of the SNP. I can't remember his name, and that's probably why. Oh, Ian Blackford. <sighs> Blackford, yes. I love him. I love him. He's always oh, so got so miserable. much. He's no, he's so not miserable. miserable. He's got vim every week. He peppering them, complaining. I bloody love it. Yeah, exactly. He's just always complaining. It's so. Is it annoying. not? Is that not the point of Parliament? No, not the way he does it. It's just so annoying. He's so annoying. Anyway, spoken like a Tory, but carry on. Listen, I am. I am the resident independent on this show, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the independent one. I'm, my back foot. I'm not the one who nails his flags that any nails my mask. You know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, so so I, I I like that, but I just don't think it's the right structure of PMQs. I like I don't I don't know who's advising. Do you do you not have like political operatives in your party? Like who's I'm advising not, who, this guy? SNP or Labour? Not that I'm a member of either. Who's advising this guy? It's just so tepid. You know, he, he said at one point, I'd like to gently remind the Prime Minister, you know, again, he went in this sort of conciliatory mode where he kept saying, you know, in that spirit, I'd like to... Oh, I'd no, like to... the wet wipe? He was just so tame. And it's like, attack, for God's sakes. Um, you know, so he was mainly speaking about the um, the the sort of measures to protect women in society. Mm. And I mean, he fell into a couple of traps because he kept saying, you know, he brought up examples of where um, folks had been, had received light sentences for offences against women. And so he kind of walked into an open trap. He probably, I'm sure he knew he was going to walk into it with the prime minister turning around and saying, well, if you wanted um, such tough sentences for men who attack women, why didn't you vote for the police crime and sentencing bill last night? You know, as we spoke about mm-hmm. last week, that yeah. went that went through on its second reading on Tuesday. It did so, indeed. So you know that was just. Um, try, I mean, I think he dealt. He did actually deal with one of one of those questions. Um, okay, he actually came out slightly attacking. That would that sort of had me pricking up my ears. Um, but apart from that, it was the same old thing. You know, as I said, he said I'd like to gently remind the prime minister. You know, he spoke of getting back to the constructive spirit of earlier questions. And it's like, you're just looking at it and thinking, you're crying out loud. This is your moment every week to 
try and get a viral moment. At least try. Do you know what I mean? Well, as I said, that's uh, that's your guy. So it was mainly about uh, him telling the Prime Minister that he's not doing enough when it comes to crimes against women. And then the Prime Minister responded saying, well, if you really meant that, then you would have voted for our bill last night. As we discussed mm. last week, that bill wasn't just about imposing tougher sentences for certain crimes. It was crimes. barely about there imposing were, tougher sentences. There, there, were a lot of, there were a lot of other things in that as well. And, and aside from that, it wasn't that, that eventful. You know, you had the, uh, again, the regular bootlickers, bootlicking questions. You know, would the Prime Minister assure me that his bill is great? It's like, <laughs> no, he's going to turn around and say, actually, my, actually, my right honourable friend, I think I did a pretty crap job with that bill I proposed last night. Yeah, it's just, I mean, do these people have no shame? No. I mean, I understand backing your seat, you backing your side, backing your team, backing your guy. Do but, you? But, to that, to like. <sighs> of course, of course, no, of course. Let's 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 just be realistic. You know, if you're a member mm. of a party, mm-hmm. and your party's in government, you're not going to get up there and ask, you know, damning questions or questions that could lead to damning answers. You're going to, you're going to of, your if side. you're the party of free speech and you're the party of individual liberty, um, then I would think so that th- it would be one of the key, if that's one of the key tenets of your party, then I think you should. I mean, but then again, no, but, no, as but a that's... person who's to the left, I do believe in criticising your faves. No, so I think you, you misunderstand me. I'm not saying you should, oh, okay. I'm not saying you should expect them never to criticise their own party, but you do it behind closed doors. You don't just oh, get up, yeah. especially in the Useful. chamber. Well, well, you just don't do it. It's just politics. Everybody does it. And it's how it's done. Or you, you know, if you, if you can't show a united front, then you'll never win. People want to see united parties. So you have... Well, uh, what, my point is, there's a difference between showing unity and just being a, a, an absolute bootlicker. You know, as mm-hmm. I said, would the Prime Minister agree with me that he's doing an amazing job? That's not a bloody question. That's just you trying to get some... Get, trying to get pushed up the line for a ministerial job in the next reshuffle. It's just so pathetic. Uh, that's pretty much all I got from this week. <laughs> um, okay. You, 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 as again, your friend, the SNP leader, was very uh, critical of the defence review and the proposals for increasing certain military spending. His main argument was against the nuclear deterrent, which is based in Scotland on the Clyde. That's where the nuclear submarines are kept. And so he used his questions about that to you know basically say Scotland doesn't want nuclear weapons it's arguable but that was what he said so speaking of Keir Starmer's abysmal performance in PMQs we're going to move on to his abysmal performance with BAME voters he has lost confidence with 43% being dissatisfied with his service that is an increase of 20 points and 31% satisfied with his performance. And that's a decrease of 17 points. I mean, I would say this is concerning, but it's fairly obvious that uh, Labour don't care. Well, this current iteration of Labour doesn't care about um, BAME voters, inner city voters as well. Their main focus is the red wall. We've got the uh, mayoral elections in Liverpool, which is looking to be a shambles with the uh, all-female shortlist being scrapped to an all-male shortlist. And then whoever they've chosen, Paul, whatever his name, 
is looking a bit dodge. Um, Labour continues to be out of step with public opinion, to be honest. It's very embarrassing. They don't care. They've made it clear that they don't care. All they care about is blue Labour. I mean, in their defence, on two fronts mm, there. Go on, defend him. Defend him. I'm just, I'm just being the objective outsider here. Um, it makes sense for them to, to try and double down on their efforts to get back their, their red wall voters. That's what lost them the election. That's what, that's what has them out of power, losing those voters stretched across certain areas of the North who have never voted conservative or who haven't voted conservative in, in over a hundred years. I would so also argue that tax- there's the loss of, of Scotland as well, which means I think it's, you know what? I'm not even going to be a Debbie Downer. Continue. Forget Scotland. If you're a late, if you're labor, why, why are you even forget that? Like pure, yeah. just look at it from purely, I'm, I'm, t- I'm speaking about this tactically, not, not mm-hmm. morally or whatever, but tactically speaking, forget Scotland. SNP have that. You're not going to get m- many more seats there. But where you can get your seats are getting people back who've only just turned in a direction that they haven't turned in 100 years. So it makes perfect sense for them to try and go after those voters in the North who have voted Tory uh, last year and kept them out, kept Labour out of power. How? What are they doing that is going to get them these Northern voters? Well, they don't I mean, seem to have any actual discernible policy. So what, well, what, is, what is it other than, you know, we hate, we hate the ethnics... Uh, or ethnic ethnic matters don't matter to us is seems to be the the tagline that is you know floating in the air that's not being said essentially that okay. seems to be their only plan to collect red wall voters so put it this way two things any initiatives for white working class boys outside of london no two, two things two things so you said how are they trying gonna try and get back those voters that they lost okay so um i think one way they 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 have sort of seemed to have started and aborted was that whole drive uh, to sort of appearing more uh, patriotic if you want to put a kind oh, word on flags. it others might say nationalist whatever they were that was something that they tried about a month ago um because they've already got that image from the corvin days of being you know anti-britain uh, so and, and a lot of people who who didn't vote for them last time probably you know, it's a multivariate analysis, but part of the reason why a lot of people moved from them was because they thought they were, you know, whether it was a mixture of anti the country or downing the country, maybe you want to look at that as just a context of Brexit. Yeah, I think there's, as I said, it's multivariate. So that's one thing they're trying to do. But also you're talking about uh, in terms of especially ethnic minority votes uh, or people of colour. I think that's what we're supposed to say these days. I'm seeing mm-hmm. that now. I'm not seeing BME or BAME. It's not POC. Anyway, the, well, my yeah. point being, my point <laughs> being, point being, where do most of those people live? Where do you live and where do I live? We both live in the two biggest cities in the country. Okay. And that's really? where most people live. Forget the Brummies. Birmingham is third. Uh, so hey. That. Listen, we, you, you don't have a dog in that fight. Anyway. So <laughs> my point I being. friends in Birmingham. Yeah, the point is, They've already got those seats. They've already got all the seats in the middle of London. They've already got all the seats in the middle of Manchester. They've already got all the seats in the middle of Leeds, just um, Birmingham. So, just. Yeah, because Red Wall and everything. But again, the, my second point being, if you just want to look at it purely from a numbers perspective, I don't think it, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't keep me up at night if I was some Labour strategist seeing these numbers 
of BAME um, support and confidence in Starmer. Because at the end of the day, where most of us live are where they're going to get their votes anyway, because it's mainly cities. Just saying. You live in, the, like, like, let's just, one last point. Just look at I do it. live just, in a, I live in a Labour safe seat and I moved right. from a Labour safe seat. So Exactly, yeah. exactly. I was just going to say, look at it nakedly. At the end of the, the day. The two largest majorities that they got as well. Right. So. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you do because they're going to win anyway. Which is part of the bloody problem though, isn't it? Well, you might see it as a problem. Mm. I just see it as the system. The question is, Keir, why don't you care about us? We don't care that you don't care about us, but why don't you care hey, about us? Hey, he took a knee last summer. Don't forget. Oh, is that, oh. <laughs> Did he raise his fist as well? I hope not. Probably wore, to, probably wore Kente glove. Probably wore Kente oh, glove as well. Please no, please no. Oh my God, he did. They, him and Angela. Oh dear. Anyway, do. talking of Bane, quote unquote, we're going to move swiftly on to Shabnam Chowdhury, the former detective superintendent of Scotland Yard, who was on Sky News calling, or not even saying calling, I would say wanting to point out the differences between a vigil and being a sensitive issue and it not being like BLM this summer because apparently black death, oppression and miscarriages of justice don't raise alarm or are not seen as a sensitive issue. This brings us back around, I think, to why we are called not Bain. We do not have the same issues. We might have overlapping um, quote unquote problem areas or overlapping um, needs. Subconscious biases. However, Yes, sure. But, you know, lumping us all together doesn't do anything for us. You know, uh, Shabnam Chowdhury is a member of an ethnic minority in Britain, but she sees BLM or the idea of Black Lives Mattering as something that is not a sensitive issue. She's, and she also then wanted went on to make comparisons about the policing of uh, the BLM marches compared to the policing at the vigil. And last time I checked, uh, horses were let off into the crowd. A horse ran over a young woman. There was kettling. There was a lot of um, aggressive policing. So making some sort of comparison as if, you know, protests are not vigils, are not us, you know, calling out for justice for um, victims of both police brutality and systemic racism. Well, it, it lets you know what members of the establishment and those who are supposed to protect and serve and police us really think about. So I've got a question for you um, mm -hmm. about that and how that speaks to how the protests last weekend for Sarah Everard have been covered in the press and on the, on, on the news. But I've got uh, something I wanted to add in first before I ask you that question is that I find it really interesting that a lot of the protests last summer and into the autumn have been characterised as BLM marches, BLM protests, when in truth, they were mostly organised by randomers. And I don't mean randomers, I don't mean to say, I'm not trying to um, cast any kind of aspersions on people's character. When I say randomers, I don't mean it in a negative way. I simply mean it was very mm. grassroots. Uh, yes, you know, it was. The actual... BLM UK 
I think if any, they only they only organized maybe one or two of those last year. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of those protests, and it's, and especially when you get out of London, for sure. Like none of all of the protests elsewhere. I'll speak for Manchester. It was, it was, it was very kid, also grassroots. Activism. Grassroots kids, kids, literally yeah, kids. A lot um, of them. So I just find it, you know, it's again another example, and I might touch on this because I'm doing. It's anything, but it's, to be fair, it's the characterizing of anything that's any march against systemic oppression. But it's any easy. march that includes talking about loss of black life is quote unquote black lives, which yeah. is quote unquote Marxist Antifa, blah blah blah. Well, this is it. So it's it's dishonest because they only they they speak about these marches as BLM, even though technically they're nothing to do with Black Lives Matter the organization. Because it's easy then to lump in all of these other things, which are easier sells as negative takes on from BLM. So it's easy to sell all oh, their Marxists. It's easy to sell all oh, their mm-hmm. anti, they're against nuclear family. It's easy to sell these things because mm-hmm. more people on the face of it would be offended by it. Mm-hmm. You can't turn around and say, oh, can you believe these people are marching for recognition of Black people's humanity? That, that's not going to sell. So you have to sell mm-hmm. these other talking points. I think it, so that's arguably, why, I think it would sell. Well, it wouldn't sell in the same way. And so that's why they lazily and dishonestly lump all of these protests into BLM. Again, it's also yeah. why they do the same thing with the word woke, but that's another conversation. So this week, we saw the protests, some more protests for the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, which we discussed last week. If you haven't already checked out the first episode, go back and have a look, have a listen rather. So we discussed that new bill that was uh, presented before the House of Commons this week. Uh, there was a lot of controversy over it because it clamps down on a lot of things which most right-thinking people would probably consider cornerstones of free speech and free expression. So things like uh, bringing in um, certain how, how loud certain protests can be or protests can be shut down if they cause annoyance, heavier sentencing, heavier prison sentencing for defacing mm-hmm. statues and that sort of thing. So there were protests uh, again to that in the middle of the week because that mm-hmm. had its second reading in the House of Commons on Tuesday. And it was over- shout out to the Labour MPs that were at the protests. Love that, you know, lefties doing lefty stuff. Uh, unlike Ab Starmer, who until he was pammed unrelentingly on Twitter, had every intention, but not just on Twitter, across the uh, political media spectrum, had every intention of abstaining because he's spineless. Ugh. So that went through that went through on Tuesday, uh, voted through the House of Commons. So that goes to its next stages of committees and more readings and et cetera, et cetera. So that was passed overwhelmingly. Uh, I think it was 359 votes in favour. It was strictly along party lines. All the votes in favour were from the Conservatives and all of the votes against were from Labour and the other smaller parties. So Didn't that the DUP through. abstain? Did the DUP abstain? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a... Well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so, so, so there were protests for that on Tuesday. There were protests in London. There were protests in Manchester. Found out about it too late, or I probably would have, have uh, socially distanced and observed. Let's, uh, keep my disclaimers in there. I think my lawyers will be happy with that statement. So, uh, I mean, they were, ele- they were arresting legal observers anyway. So, already well, putting into uh, work what they intend to be doing in future. So it looks like that will probably pass. Uh, I think the only hope really is that there are some decent amendments which go, uh, are put forward and voted on as, it, as the bill progresses through 
the House of Commons and the House of Lords and until it will, I'm sure, become law. But I think it's seeing the protests which it inspired, I think, is, um, is positive. It shows that there are a lot of people who are very unhappy with this bill. And uh, ironically, as you said, protests were cut down over, the, over a bill which would limit protests. So. Yeah. I think it's also important to, you know, to say and to remind everyone, you don't need permission to protest. The whole point of a protest is protesting. What do you mean a police permission to protest? Nobody never asked you. The whole point is that we're coming out here to tell you what we don't like. So, you know, whether it's allowed or not, protest is technically illegal to an Protesting can't be illegal because that's what we're supposed to do as the electorate is to tell our elected officials what we want. Well, that's that's my little lefty two cents there, guys. So, I mean, we, we, we don't live in a direct democracy, so. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, what you're saying doesn't work in our system, you know. Excuse me. So, you know what? <laughs> no, Let I mean, me not get started. No, 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 no. We've got another minute. We've got another minute we can devote to this. So, so, so go, go, go off, go off, go off. What? Yeah, we're not a direct democracy. The voice of the electorate outside of election times, the voice of the electorate outside of election times is to let these lot know, let these men know what we want from them via protests, via letters, via emails, by standing outside parliament, banging our Brexit gong as much as we want to. Well, that's what you elect your local MP for. Your MP speaks for you. You elect an MP once every five years and that's your participation. That's how you... You must <laughs> be mad. I'm, I mean, I'm just saying that... Okay, it's not the extent of your participation. Okay, there we go. You said that they should do what we want. So in, mm-hmm. elect the MPs that, that do what you want. Did you vote for an MP? Did you vote for an MP who would not in any circumstances have voted for this? Absolutely, I did. And she did not let me down. See, you live in the middle of London. It's all late. <laughs> she was even Pam and Pretty posting up her DP just to remind us who is out here trying to take away our civil liberties. Well, would you and look at the time? And my other previous MP there made goes a 10-minute speech in Parliament. Okay, there go- right. There goes our minute. You know what I don't do is make mistakes. So this week's main course, we are looking at all things vaccines and vaccine diplomacy and EU rumblings and... Jab. Jab, jab. yeah. Jab, jab. Take it away. Yes. I mean, I don't know about take it away, but uh, there's the vaccine delays. There's also the... uh, I am not... I don't prescribe to uh, vaccine nationalism, but uh, this little bit of rumbling that's been going on with regards to France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Lithuania, Ireland flexing uh, their political jaws about the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine feels a bit uh, political. Yeah, so let's give a bit of context to that. So as most people probably know, one of the main vaccines for COVID at the moment is the one produced by AstraZeneca and Oxford University. So earlier this week, uh, a lot of European countries and actually the, the end of the week before, but especially this week, a lot of European countries stopped injecting people with that vaccine due to a small number of reported blood clots. 
So um, a few people, and we're talking, you know, handfuls. We're talking seven Maybe in one case. Seven or nine? Seven in one case and like 12 mm. in another in another sample group. So you've had literally a few people out of millions, mm-hmm. um, best part of 20 million people mm-hmm. who have been, who have come down with some who have blood clots. These blood clots, it's not known whether they're related to the vaccines. Uh, part of part of what's coming out, especially from AstraZeneca, from 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 other health authorities as well, is that these blood clots, which we which we're seeing in the population, are no different to how you would um, no different to the numbers that of blood clots you would usually see in the population. So, in the population of people who have been who have been vaccinated, again, out of you know twenty million, you're talking about um, well, out of that group in Europe of twenty million. You're talking seven people in one place and nine people in another place having uh, a blood clot, which might or might not be related to the vaccine itself. So that caused a lot of countries to immediately put a halt on it. We're recording on Friday. Today, that ban was lifted. Mm-hmm. I think as well, it's important to say prior to the blood clots, um, was it Macron who was... Uh, yeah, it was Macron actually who it was, was yeah. so who that was, started some rumors about the AZ vaccine yeah. prior to this anyway. So he called it uh, unknown. He called, he called it uh, so Emmanuel Macron, president of France, in January called the AstraZeneca virus a virus AstraZeneca vaccine uh, a quasi quasi vaccine. He called it. So he poured so much cold water on it. Now France has a particular problem when it comes to Europe with a lot of strong anti-vax sentiment so there are a lot of people in france in terms of proportion of population compared to other places especially compared to the uk um where people are very are, are very suspicious about vaccines so he did that that france has flip-flopped so much on this uh, first they were saying they weren't giving it to people who are over 65 now they turned around this week and said they're only giving it to people over 55 mm-hmm. you had the president trashing it two months ago and today what happened the french prime minister got injected for his with a coronavirus vaccine and which one was it astrazeneca okay so you know there's just been so much flip-flopping so much confusion you know as i said they only reauthorized its use last week for over 55s after saying they weren't going to give it to anybody over 65 um and in france now they have a 20 percent confidence in the astrazeneca uh, vaccine so that's 20 mm-hmm. percent confidence uh, when polled a few weeks ago in france over that vaccine so and really, you know, it's, it's, it's not good. The EU needs to step their vaccine game up because they are. It's very slow. It's very clunky. Well, so they I really mean, can't afford for all this. Uh, they're moving into their third, fourth wave at the moment. Everyone's fleeing Paris uh, because the lockdown is imminent. So they really need to step their game up and maybe mind their own backyard and stop talking about other people's vaccines. Well, they take what they're given. In Europe right now, uh, the, the numbers of dead. From, from coronavirus are in some places exceeding last year. So this third wave in some places wow. is, is proving worse than the first and the second wave. Um, you know, if you just look at the vaccination numbers, so the UK has now administered 40.5 vaccine doses per 100 people. The US is 34, uh, so that's 34%. And the, U- and the EU in comparison is 12 out of 100 people. So, you know, they're already starting or continuing from, from a place of being far behind in terms of the rollout. A lot of their numbers, what they were expecting, have been projected down, especially the AstraZeneca uh, jabs for, for, for this year. 
So, so they're, they're not in a good place. And yeah. having all of this flip-flopping just makes things worse. And to me, hey, I'm just saying, I think it highlights it highlights problems that are in the EU and the EU itself. You know, you've got the the e, the European Medical Agency on one side saying one mm-hmm. thing. So from the start, they've been saying it's there's fine. no there's no need to stop vaccinating people with AstraZeneca. You can keep going. You they know, could they, just remove the batch, but they wanted to stop the whole thing. But the thing is, individual countries took it upon themselves to 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 block it. And also, you've had countries blocking the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine who actually didn't want to block it, but were backed into a corner. So on Monday, Germany made the decision to block its citizens from um, from using the AstraZeneca va- vaccine. That then pushed France, Italy and Spain into a corner because it was either, do we do, we do this? Do we do, do we carry on? Or, um, no, do we do the same as Germany or do we carry on and then be risked at people in their countries looking at them as being reckless. So those mm. countries were backed into a corner and followed Germany's lead on Monday. As they often do. Right. And again, it just really points to the lack of a joined up plan in Europe with regards to the vaccines. Now Germany is saying that they're going to be looking to the Sputnik vaccine in Russia that hasn't been approved yet by the European Medical Agency. So they haven't approved it. So again, it's just showing they, all they of these... would rather take Sorry, they would rather take a Russian vaccine that hasn't been tested. Um, so, so you say that. However, um, mm-hmm. there are there are there are um, studies which are, are quite are quite um, promising, and that's been, it's been administered in other places. Mm. Um, so don't, don't well, Russia. Um, I believe there was some pressure for a couple of Caribbean islands to take it, but because it hadn't been approved by the the World Health Organization yet, yeah. they, they refused. Is it approved? Um, not by the not by the WHO. No, that's why the Caribbean. That's why those islands didn't take it. So, so you know, there's there's just so much mess in Europe with it, and you know, obviously, people on the Brexit side have jumped on that as as a as a as a clear example of why we are best out of it. Well, yeah, there are there are arguments that yeah. regardless of of the EU or not, but you know. Uh, to be honest, I don't really understand why they would make it a supranational um, rollout. Why is it coming from the EU rather than individual governments? Individual well, governments can move that's, faster. That's the whole point of the EU. I said, yes, I know. They made the, the batch procurement. I get it. I get it. No, I, get no, no, it. Not, I know. No, I don't mean the batch production. No, I don't mean the batch production. I not mean pro- the whole point. No, the not whole production. Point of the, I mean, in, sorry. The whole point no, of the because EU. You... No, the whole point of the EU is to be a supranational structure. That, that's what it I is. I know, so you but take, it's supposed to... Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it's it. It's supposed to be a trading block, mate. Um, not, a feder- not a federation. I mean, are you trolling me now? Because now you just sound like a regular Brexiteer. And I know you... you <laughs> I, I know, because that... <laughs> I never... Listen, I'm then absolutely... Again, then again, I was for are, a left-wing argument. I was going to say you are. You are a commie. The, I am not a commie, but I do believe there was, a, there, was, there was a failure to make a left argument for yeah. Brexit. But Brexit has happened, so let's not relitigate that. Yeah, for, Thank I for, you. I forgot you're a well-bad commie and there are those left-wing arguments against the EU. So fair enough, Absolutely. fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, but yeah, it's just it's messy. You know, you've got different countries doing different things at the same time. Quasi and effective. That's what, that was what the words Macron used about the AstraZeneca vaccine. It quasi was quasi, ineffective. He's he so it, rude. He quasi ineffective, and today his prime minister took it. Um, He's so, so cheeky. 
but there's this it's so it's you yeah, men don't even have their own vaccines and they're talking about our vaccine. Well, you'd have to be a fool to not think that there's a big political element to it because then you had this Very. week Ursula, Ursula von der Leyen. Is it von der Leyen? Mm-hmm. Von der Leyen. Von der Leyen. Mm-hmm. And she uh, is the president of the EC, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She uh, is president of, The president of the European Commission. So she's saying that there has to be a level of reciprocity and also proportionality to her to 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 the to the vaccine trading between nations in short what she's saying is and she was she was aiming this at britain uh, mm-hmm. primarily she was basically saying in terms of the repros- the pre- the reciprocity argument reciprocity uh, reciprocity the reciprocity yeah. side so she's saying that okay look um if you're sending if we're sending you vaccines you need to send those vaccines because so far yeah because so far we've received 10 million of the AstraZeneca vaccines, which have been made in the EU. Mm-hmm. And we have sent a, a total amount of zero in the, the other direction. So her argument is, if we're, if, if you're receiving vaccines from our con- made in our countries, well, you mm-hmm. need to do the same thing back. But and we then, have contractual obligations with the people who are making the vaccines. It's not our fault that you man didn't sign your contract first. We ordered them before they were even being in production. Sounds like a personal problem. And that is the crux of the issue with everything that's been going back and forth. Give us between the, the juice. EU, between the EU and AstraZeneca. At the bottom of this, the EU are just vexed that we got a lot more AstraZeneca vaccines than they did because we ordered them a long time before they did. Like, that's literally it. That's what happened. So mm-hmm. there's, there's, they've got their backup about that. And so mm-hmm. it's hard to see all of these different things coming out over the past 10 days as not having some sort of political angle to them, especially as Ursula von der Leyen is from which party in Germany? The Christian Democrats, which is yeah. the party that just got trounced in their local elections and they've got their national, their federal elections coming up later this year. They do. So, and thing, and uh, Merkel stepping down as well. And Merkel stepping down. So there's already tension there because they're, that's they're Angela losing. Merkel the German Chancellor everybody indeed sorry yes yeah uh, so there's already tension there because they they're losing their strong leader so you know you put all of that in the background and you just look at it and think okay this is just these are just cynical plays um so the other the other argument she the other argument she had was about proportionality and that isn't so much in terms of you send us five vaccines sorry we send you five vaccines so that means you should send us five that more that is more in the sense of proportionality in terms of again it's, again it's a similar it's a similar give and take idea but different in this way and i'll use an example so she was basically saying the uk the us is a great example of proportionality because the us um, will order a, or, or us companies will order a lot of materials from europe so they are uh, you know they so whilst europe might be sending them vaccines as they send us vaccines because they're made in europe but then unlike us they're saying that the u.s also sends a lot of business their way so these were two things which she came out with this week you know saber rattling basically against britain i just want to you know to to just chuck in there that matt hancock matt hancock sorry matt hancock our uh health secretary beleaguered and useless as he is did say that as we have contracts and there are contractual obligations we shouldn't be worried that we won't be getting a any of our so far organized deliveries as we need to make 12 
million doses of the second part of the vaccine done by April. So we need to get 12 million vaccines, second doses of the vaccine into people by April. Yeah. So hopefully yeah, because he did come it should out. be fine. He did say it should be fine. I don't know I if mean, I believe him because he's a liar, but yeah, hopefully it should be he fine. Did come, he did come out this week and say, um, you know, they sort of pointed to potential bottlenecks in terms of the global supply of mm-hmm. vaccines in the next few weeks. Supply chains are a mazza. There's been some issues in India with the with the production, apparently. That's it, yeah. So the Serum Institute in India is where a lot, again, a lot, a lot of vaccines are made too. And um, yeah, they've been having some issues there. Corey, you've got our cross upon story this week, if you want to take it away. Yes, two stories. Uh, first one is Jamaica, and the second one relating to Haiti. So the first story was Jamaica. 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 The first story with Jamaica is there has been an interesting little legal development with a former prime minister who potentially could be in some trouble. So the last prime minister, Portia Simpson Miller, and some other members of her party, uh, they have been trying for ten years to stop. Uh, to they've been trying to to stop themselves from having to uh, testify in open court. And this is in relation to a donation that was made by a Dutch oil company to the PNP, which is her political Mm. party. Uh, The donation was in the region of about £200,000 10 years ago. And so they've been fighting this, fighting this. So the the last stage was the court in Jamaica, the Supreme Court in Jamaica, saying that they had to testify in this case. So they took it to the one body that is actually higher than the the Supreme Court in Jamaica, and that is... The Privy Council. That's right. The highest court of appeal for Jamaicans is in London, along with some other places. And so this relates, interestingly as well, to what's in the news at the moment with regards to the relevance of the monarchy, particularly mm-hmm. the relevance of the Queen as head of mm-hmm. state for a lot of countries outside of, outside of the United Kingdom. So she's head of state of, of over a dozen different countries. So, so that again relates to the fact that the highest court of appeal for Jamaicans is the Privy Council in London. So this week, that was the case was then taken to them. So they appealed it because they don't want to testify. Again, begs the question, why do they not want to? It was taken to the Privy Council this week where the decision hasn't been made, but going by a lot of the transcripts from the lawyers and the law lords, the decision from what they were responding, it looks like they see uh, it as an absolute no-brainer and it looks like they're going to turn around and uphold the decision made in Jamaica for them to have to confess in open, well, not confess, but testify in open court. So that should be interesting. But um, I think the, the the bigger issue for me in this story is the fact that still, almost 60 years after independence, Jamaica's mm-hmm. highest court is not in Jamaica. And this is, and so some of the other Caribbean islands had this same thing where, again, their highest court would be the Privy Council. But then they, uh, there's, a, there's an organization now in the Caribbean called the Caribbean uh, Court of Justice, where that is now the highest court. So it's, it's almost like the EU, uh, the European Court of Human Rights, a similar, yeah. kind, of, similar kind of thing. ICJ. Yeah, yeah. where it's the, that, is, that is the highest body, at least, you know, not exactly, but, you know, work with the rough analogy. It's the highest body um, in terms of um, law and, and, and legal uh, appeals, the highest court okay. of appeals. Haiti. So in Haiti, there have been democratic process, protests for the last few weeks with regards to the current president, whose name is, I want to say, Corey says it's moi. 
I say it's I say it's Moise. I've not actually heard it said out loud. So if anyone has the correct um, pronunciation, that would be great. I'm the one with the A star in French GCSE. Thank you. Like I said, GCSE. They don't even do letters for GCSEs anymore. It's numbers now. Please, no one cares. Can so, we continue? Yes, we can. Um, he has arrested 23 people, which include a Supreme Court judge and a politician. Um, there are complaints of constitutional violations um, because the argument is that his term should have ended on the 7th of February. However, he refuses to leave office and he has forcibly retired the Supreme Court judges so that the case can't be brought against him with regards to his constitutional overreach. And now he is hiding somewhere saying that he's protecting himself from a coup from, oh yeah, he's protecting himself from a coup and from some threats to his life. And I just really thought as well that it has some really similar parallels to um, Erdogan a couple of years ago, Erdogan being the uh, former, well, the current president of Turkey. Um, and he carried out sort of the same thing where he disappeared in hiding and started giving uh, live streams on Facebook talking about threats to his life. Because obviously, again, the same sort of questions were raised about uh, constitutional overreach and overstaying his term in office. So I thought that was really interesting. And it's really good to see, you know, the Haiti electorate rising up continually. And the US has also started distancing itself as well. So although, the outcome of this might be interesting. Although they have the US and this angered a lot of protesters in Haiti, they have and they have endorsed his rationale. So you were saying that his term was due to finish in January. 7th of, 7th of sorry, February. February, sorry. So he should have been out of office. His mm -hmm. claim is that because the last election was a rerun in 2017, because he gets Which a five he year... he re-ran. Well, yeah, but his argument is because your term is five years, he's only counting his term from 2017, not 2016. Mm -hmm. Which so is he's, very booky because so his, so his you might not count that, it or not, nah, but you were, you've been serving. So Sorry. his argument is that he can uh, he, he technically can stay in until next year. And that position the US has backed. So that, that has dampened the sale. That's dampened the, the mood for a lot of uh, the protesters on the streets. But mm. I think it's, it's just a sad, it's, it's really sad because Haiti has been through just constant tumult. Like since, since mm. Haiti began. You know, since the revolution, um, mm -hmm. in terms of the politics, uh, just been it's just been one thing after the other for that country for the past two hundred and twenty years, and they just never seem to catch a break, whether it's natural disasters or political disasters. So this week, Corey, you've got a thought for us. If you'd like to give us your thought of the week, yeah. So this week, I've been thinking a lot about the hypocrisy from many of those who claim free speech and claim our society to be our society to be you know sort of a beacon of hope for the rest of the world when it comes to freedom of speech so you know there's been there's been a few there's been two main specific incidents this week which have made me think about this quite a bit and the first one is going back to what we were discussing before about that new law that's being proposed in the in the house of commons where you know we're seriously we're seriously or they are seriously considering 
um, how annoying a protester is, 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 is a justifiable cause for shutting down a protest or how many decibels a protest reaches. You know, we're, we're actually having a conversation right now about whether a protest should be allowed to go ahead because of how loud it is. Mm-hmm. And the second thing was uh, the Historic England commissioned a report on Lincolnshire history. And they, they came out with some findings, especially in relation to how certain buildings, historic buildings in Lincolnshire related to the slave trade, transatlantic slave trade. And so you had uh, some people, including a conservative MP who quote said that the report needed to be shredded. So if it's not politicians, it's media and influence types who are always bleating on about cancel culture. And it's always these people who then just completely forget everything they preach and want to shut down and actually silence and actually in the case of this conservative MP, erase history. You know, mm-hmm. these are the same people who say that everybody else is playing the victim and oh, you can't say things anymore. It's all political correctness gone mad. But suddenly when when the when the shoe's on the other foot, when it's something that they don't want to hear, well, free speech, me speech. I mean, what's that about? <laughs> um, you know, speech out is free or isn't. There mm-hmm. are elements to this law which is going through you know, they're trying to tackle things like people gluing themselves to tube trains or people blocking, as they did a few months ago, newspaper printing facilities. So newspapers are literally not printed. I think there's an argument to be made that those there has to be some sort of intervention there. You know, if you're blocking London's entire tube network. Uh, yeah, OK, I think we can definitely have a, a, a good conversation whilst while still being committed to free speech. You can still have a good conversation about whether you can you need to do something about that. I would counter that all of those are very much important parts of protest and shouldn't be, well, they should be intervened with in the sense that eventually they've got to come off, but that is part of speech. Blocking well, the tubes from running is exactly the point, whether we like it or not, if you know, that's the, if the, the point that Extinction Rebellion is trying to make. Well, they shouldn't be blocking public transport, but you get the drift. As I said, I think that is a bigger conversation. But mm-hmm. just on the narrow point of trying to police how loud a protest is, trying to police a protest based on how much it annoys somebody else. I think those, I, I'm not one to go in for slippery slope arguments, but I think that leads us down a very, very dangerous road. So I found that quite depressing, but not just depressing. I just found it telling that so many people really told on themselves and telling themselves continuously. They'll bleat onto you and me about cancel culture and then turn around and say, yeah, we need to just shred this report of history. You're either for history, you're either for preserving history or not. You're either for free speech or you're not. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.